Welcome to Bovine Banter with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team. I'm Ginger Fenton, and I'm a dairy educator based in Mercer County, Pennsylvania. Today, joining us is Dr. Adriana Marijo Williams, who is an extension educator on the field and forage crop team based in Center County, Pennsylvania. We will be talking about mycotoxins and what they mean for your crops and your animal feed. Thank you for being with us today, Adriana. Thanks for inviting me, Ginger. So like um, Ginger mentioned, my name is Adriana Murillo Williams. I came to Penn State in 2018, and since then I have been part of Penn State Extension Field and Forage Crops team. So I get to work with corn, soybeans, small grain, and forage producers. My background is in crop production and plant pathology, so the work I do targets both grain production and also integrated pest management. Before I came to Penn State, I worked at the Seed and Grain Research Center at the University of Costa Rica, where I was teaching and doing research on mycotoxins in grain crops like corn, rice, and beans. Let's start with a basic question for our listeners, so we're all on the same page. Can you explain what mycotoxins are, including how they get into crops and animal feeds? That is a great question. It sounds basic, but it's loaded. So I'm going to split it into two parts. We'll start with what are mycotoxins? So mycotoxins are toxic substances produced by fungi that can cause diseases or death in animals and humans. What makes mycotoxins so problematic? It's a natural question. So most of the toxins are heat stable and can undergo fermentation and I'd say most food processing methods. They are also active at very low concentration, meaning that just a few milligrams or even micrograms of these toxins can lead to health problems. So the consumption of mycotoxin contaminated commodities can lead to several acute and chronic diseases in humans as well as in animals. So let's say in livestock, mycotoxins have been associated with feed refusal, vomiting, um, reduced weight gain, and of course, reduced feed efficiency, liver and reproductive problems, and also immunosuppression. Some of these toxins lead to very specific acute um, responses. So for example, we have a group that is called aflatoxins. This can be hepatotoxic and cause death in both animals and humans. Another type, we have the ochratoxins. They target kidneys, so they can be nephrotoxic. We have deoxyrelinol. This is a very common mycotoxin, also known as DON or vomit toxin. Um, this toxin inhibits protein synthesis and uh, it may cause immunotoxicity. We have a group of uh, another group of toxins, the pumonocins. They disrupt the sphingolipid metabolism, and they are uh, they are hepatotoxic. And last but not least, we have a seralinone, which is a mycotoxin that can lead to reproductive problems in animals, particularly swine. So now we're going to move to the second part of the question. That if I remember this right, was what molds produce mycotoxins and how they get into crops and animal feeds. Okay, so the simplest answer for that is a lot of mold. However, the mycotoxins that are of economic importance are produced by Fusarium, Aspergillus, and to a certain degree, penicillin species. This is very important. How do toxins get into animal feed? 
When these fungi infect plants in the field or develop during storage, they can contaminate that substrate where they grow with mycotoxins. So I want to mention the most important fungi associated with mycotoxins. One, and probably the most common one here, uh, the most common here in Pennsylvania, is Fusarium graminearum. This is a pathogen of corn and wheat. Mm -hmm. In corn, it causes the diseases known as gibberella erod and gibberella stock rot. And in wheat, this is the organism that causes fusarium head blight or a head scab that I'm pretty sure you know, a lot of our listeners know about. So this is the same fungus in two crops. So something I want you to remember is that this pathogen produces several toxins, including dioxin malinol or DON that I already mentioned. Mm -hmm. It can also produce DON derivatives. It can produce valinol and also seralinol. Another group of fungi that are mycotoxigenic are Fusarium verticilloides, Fusarium proliferatum, Fusarium subglutinans. Um, and this group uh, causes something, uh, a disease called Fusarium erod. Mm -hmm. And these fungi can produce fumonacins that I already mentioned as well. A very important group of um, organisms that are also mycotoxigenic are in the Aspergillus group. We have Aspergillus flavus and Aspergillus parasiticus. They can cause Aspergillus erod of corn and can produce aflatoxins. And I want everybody to remember these toxins because they can cause cancer. And this is why they are so highly regulated. Mm -hmm. In addition, when contaminated rations are fed to dairy cattle, Aflatoxins can be excreted in the milk in a slightly different form called aflatoxin M1. The problem is that this aflatoxin M1 retains most of its toxic properties. And to finish with a group of molds that can produce mycotoxins, we have the penicillium uh, species. These are commonly found in fermented feed and can produce citronin, patulin, ocratoxins, and penicillic acid. Out of all these toxins, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, has published guidelines for fibonacins, advisory levels for dioxin valinol, um, and action levels for aflatoxins in human food and also animal feed and feeding feed. Very helpful information, Adriana. Thank you for that introduction to mycotoxins. To follow up, what are some of the major mycotoxins of concern for Pennsylvania crops? Although many of the mycotoxigenic fungi have, um, let's say, a worldwide distribution, there are certain fungi that can dominate certain areas. So, for example, in the southern U.S., Fusarium verticilloides is the most common species causing erods. But in the northern part of the United States, Fusarium graminearum is more prevalent. So it is not a surprise that, in general, the most common mycotoxins found in corn in the U.S are dioxin valinol, fumonacins, and seralinol. Working with farmers here in Pennsylvania, I'd say the number one mycotoxin farmers deal with is uh, dawn in corn, wheat, and barley. Of course, you know, there are other mycotoxins, and I found some research conducted here in Pennsylvania a little while ago where the researchers found that penicillin uh, toxins can be present in both 
fresh and unsiled corn. What toxins? Some more patulin, rocaportin-C, and mycophenolic acid, among others. Are the concerns with mycotoxins the same throughout the state? Well, that depends. So before I give you an answer, I'm going to review the factors that are needed for mycotoxin contamination to occur. Okay, that, I guess that, that is important before we move on. So first, we need a fungus that is capable of producing mycotoxins. And I'm sure that we have inoculum in all fields across the Commonwealth. Second, we need a susceptible plant or a plant at a growth stage when it is more susceptible to infection. For example, corn when it is silking. Third, we need a favorable weather conditions. We need a favorable environment mycotoxin production. So these fungi have a preferred range of temperatures and humidity for infection and also for mycotoxin production in both um, in the field and in storage. If we don't have that right environment, mycotoxin contamination will not occur. And I will add a fourth factor, which is insects. Insect damage to the stalk and to the ear can increase the mycotoxin problem. For example, damage caused by larvae of European corn borers or the Western bean cutworm will serve the sport of egg trees for many fungi, including the mycotoxigenic one. Now that we know what is needed for mycotoxin contamination to occur, I will say that I cannot pinpoint at any area of the state that would be more at risk. For example, there will be cases when a weather event, let's say excess rain, will affect the entire Commonwealth. But this event will bring conducive, con conducive conditions for erode development to the areas where corn is silking. And as we know, that doesn't happen at the same time everywhere in Pennsylvania, right? On the other hand, if those conditions prevail for a long, long time, we will see issues every you now popping out everywhere. Another example that I wanted to use is drought because drought brings conditions that are conducive for aspergillus erupt development. However, mm -hmm, let's say within a small region, we will have areas that may be at higher risk of aspergillus erupt because let's say the topography or because they have different soil types that have different moisture uh, retention capacities. And so those soils are going to be able to uh, sustain plant growth for and maintain the plant um, or provide enough water for the plant for longer times than in other areas. Can you tell us how mycotoxins get into animal feed? Sure. So the simple answer is when we use contaminated feed ingredients or when there are some storage issues. As I mentioned, uh, mycotoxin fungi infect grain and forage crops in the field. So corn ear infection and mycotoxin contamination may either result from fungal entry via the silk when corn is flowering or through damage from corn, um, corn, corn insects and animals or even hail. Ear infection by fusarium species may lead to colonization and mycotoxin contamination of other tissues. And this is very important, like the corn cobs, the stalks, and the leaves. 
what do we check for silage? Or all those tissues, right? So that is another way that mycotoxins can show up in feed. In addition to that, if corn, let's say, is ensiled under less than ideal conditions, fungal growth can be promoted and further mycotoxin contamination can occur. So mycotoxigenic fungi will not be active if they are kept under anaerobic conditions. Let's see, another source of mycotoxins that I think it's important is when we use uh, DDGs that are derived from contaminated grain. Just to, to clarify, dry distiller grains? Yes, that's, that's yes. correct, yes. Is there any time in the field or after, I'm thinking like during harvest, storage, processing, when the concern about mycotoxins is the highest? <laughs> that is a tough question, but I would say all of them. However, I'd say my greatest concern is when weather conditions are favorable for um, infection and mycotoxin production. Mm -hmm. Because um, if farmers end up with high contamination levels, they have to deal with that like from the very beginning. And there's nothing they can do to control modern nature, right? All we can do is to see, you know, when when corn is in the field, all we can do is to see, you know, how how that happens. We cannot really control it. However, in a good year, when we don't have contamination in the field, less than optimum storage conditions can lead to mycotoxin contamination of materials that were uh, toxic-free. So that's why both, you know, what happens in the field, um, it is you know, very important, but what we do afterwards with those materials that is equally important. How can producers determine whether mycotoxins are present in their crops and feeds? Is it a visual test? Are there laboratory tests? Also an excellent question. So I want to stress that the presence of molds does not necessarily mean presence of mycotoxins. Mm -hmm. What this shows is that the conditions for mycotoxin production exist, and it, this applies for you know, both in the field and also storage conditions. The only way to know mycotoxin levels is by sending a representative sample of your grain or feed or silage to a laboratory for mycotoxin analysis. Well, in addition to that, well, I always recommend scouting your fields before harvest. Mm -hmm. This is the way to find out um, if there are erots in your field, also the type of erots that you may have in your field, and also to know the levels of insect damage that may worsen the situation mm -hmm. when, when you have them. And by scouting, you know, scouting is the only way that you can also find those hot spots in the field where you see that severity of the erots might be highest. And you can plan on avoid those areas when you harvest. Can you tell us more about testing for suspected contamination by mycotoxins? So if, if a producer is concerned, how would you advise them to start to determine that they have an issue? Let's say that before harvest, the farmer scouted the field, found a lot of erods, and also sent a sample to a lab that came back positive for mycotoxins. Next step is, and this is very important, if your crop is insured, 
contact your crop insurance before harvest. This is very important. And at this point, they will send somebody to do a farm visit, probably to take a sample. They will direct you on where to send the samples to because um, you know, insurance, insurance companies work with uh, certain laboratories. So I would say that that would be the, the way to go before you do any, before you proceed to harvest. So thinking to the next step then, what should a producer know about reading and interpreting the analyses from the lab? Okay, so I would say that first, they should take the time to read and learn about FDA advisory levels and guidelines and action levels for the different mycotoxins in food and feeds. These are available for Dawn, for Fumonocins, and also for aflatoxins, and they're very easy to find online. And they have useful information. And I'm going to give you an example. So let's say your wheat had Dawn levels slightly above one part per million, and that is the limit for human consumption. And this is an easy example, of course. <laughs> so in the advisory levels, if you check them out, you, could, you can see that you could use your wheat for chickens as long as it doesn't exceed 50% of the diet. So again, they have useful information. And by using that as a reference, you would know what to do with your wheat that has more than one part per million of tons. On the other hand, as we know, a single fungus can produce different types of mycotoxins. So it is likely that you will have different fungi in the same sample as well. So this is a huge problem because all guidelines out there uh, are made for individual mycotoxins. So there are no official recommendations for a situation when you have a mix of mycotoxins. And we know they can be synergistic and they can interact. So in this situation, my recommendation is that you always have to keep in mind that the risk of mycotoxins is going to depend on the type of mycotoxins you're dealing with, the level of those substances in the different feedstuff, mm -hmm. the level of intake of those uh, foods, and also the animal species, the age, the gender, and the nutritional status of the herd. Mm -hmm. I recommend farmers base their decisions on symptoms they see and also work with their veterinarian or nutritionist to make the necessary adjustments and you know to decide what actions to take. I think that's a good recommendation. Can you tell us what the negative effects of mycotoxins are on grain crops? That is an excellent question and I know there's a lot of research going on on that so my answer is going to be short. So some mycotoxins like Dawn and Fumonocins can be phytotoxic. And in the case of Dawn, it contributes to the ability of the fungus of Fusarium graminearum to cause infection in both in wheat and corn. Adriana, what are some recommended practices for farmers managing their crops to prevent mycotoxins if they can? The first line of defense, I'd say, is genetic resistance. There are corn hybrids with some levels of resistance to both Gibberella e-rods and stock rods. 
Also finding hybrids that are well adapted to uh, your local conditions, for example, drought, that would be a, a way to go. Crop rotation to non-hosts may also help. And this, this one is very important. If you have had issues with dawn, stay away from a corn weed rotation. Remember, this is the same pathogen causing Giberella e-rot and weed head scab. And this fungal survives in the crop residue. So if you keep you know, sticking to that rotation, what you're doing is building your inoculum in the soil. Another thing that you can do is uh, to select hybrids that protect corn against insect damage. And uh, I haven't mentioned fungicides, but you know there's a lot of research going on in that area as well. However, uh, although there are some promising results, the results, like in general, have not been consistent at reducing e-rods. So that is something that I'm not, I don't tend to recommend yet. All right, thank you for those suggestions. How are humans exposed to mycotoxins? And I know you already mentioned this, that they can be cancerous. So are they hazardous to human health? I'm, I'm guessing yes. Yes, yes. And so mycotoxin ca mycotoxins can um, directly enter the human food chain in contaminated grain that we eat and also grain products. Also seeds, spices, and food and beverages as well. Mm -hmm. um, they can also enter the food chain in an indirect way, how in milk and dairy products and also meat and eggs from animals that have been exposed to mycotoxins through feed and feedstuff. Um, something I just wanted to add to that is that there are reports of mycotoxins uh, in dust uh, grain facilities, although those uh, are variable. Sometimes they say mycotoxins were found in the dust. Sometimes they cannot find them. But just to be safe, I'd say my recommendation is that anybody handling dusty or moldy grain or silage should wear a mask and eye protection as well. Do you see any trends or changes that have emerged with changing weather, weather patterns and climate changes? Well, it has been predicted that some mycotoxigenic fungi will increase their range right, within the country. And there might even uh, be a shift in the predominant mycotoxigenic fungi in some areas due to a warmer climate. Here in Pennsylvania, uh, and you all know this, we have experienced really hot and dry conditions at critical corn growth stages uh, in the last few years. And it is in those years when I have seen reports of aflatoxins in corn at low levels, but there. Okay. And we know that aspergillus e-rot can be favored by those conditions. So I think we will encounter more and more of the mycotoxigenic fungi that are predominant in the southern U.S., like aspergillus and Fusarium verticillioides, Fusarium proliferatum, and Fusarium subglutinans causing uh, Fusarium e-rot. All right. I'd like to circle back to a term you mentioned earlier. Um, can you explain the added concern with feeding uh, distillers grains that are contaminated with mycotoxins? Sure. So we know that uh, DDGs will have higher concentration of mycotoxins than the grain that was used for distillation. And the natural question is, well, how much more concentrated, right? 
everybody agrees it is about a threefold enrichment. So I've seen the data for Donna, I've seen the data for Fimanosins as well. So if DDGs are derived from contaminated corn, or you may or may not know this, but make sure you test those materials before you use them. How can a dairy producer protect their herd and ensure their animals are receiving good quality grains and feeds? Well, I'd say, well, everything starts in the field. So we have to adopt those practices that lower the risk of infection and also insect damage um, to your corn crop, right, when possible. I'd say that testing the different ingredients in the ration, you know, pay close attention to the developing of symptoms that could indicate there is an issue related to feed. Mm -hmm. And always remember, and again, animal science is not my background, but I do know that if animals are maintained in optimal conditions, they may be able to handle better some mycotoxins than a herd that is not well taken care of. So Adriana, I think this has been a very interesting conversation. As you know, I'm interested in food safety and I certainly see the overlap here. As we wrap up, do you have any takeaway messages for our listeners of key pieces of information to remember about mycotoxins in grain and feeds? This is difficult because I want them to remember so many things, but I'd say um, remember that mycotoxigenic fungi can infect, they can colonize and produce mycotoxins in the field during harvest and during post-harvest as well. I still run across people who thinks, uh, who think that mycotoxins are just a storage issue, okay, and they just show up during storage. Mm -hmm. So mycotoxin contamination usually starts in the field, but if that post-harvest handling of those materials is deficient, mycotoxins concentrations can dramatically increase during storage of grain or you know, corn silage. So I, I think that is the most important uh, take-home message, that contamination can occur anytime during that production chain. I think that's a good message and a good thing to remember. Thank you very much for sharing your information with us today, taking the time to talk with us and for sharing with our listeners. If the listeners have any further questions regarding this topic, they can email me at gdc3 at psu.edu. It's likely that I will pass your questions on to Adriana, but please feel free to reach out. And also don't forget to tune in next Tuesday when dairy educator Carly Becker will be talking with Dr. Mary Drunowski about common issues associated with silage loss and how to overcome them.